This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Now. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Uh, what a way to come back <laughs> after the break. <laughs> uh, we went, we went into the break, not, not in a good way, but we were kind of expecting things to get better with the amount of guys who were coming back from injury. And then all of a sudden the ducks come out of the break and just are worse than they went into it somehow. Yeah. Who would have thought the, the best defense Gibby would have saw was at the all-star game. Oh my God. I mean, just <laughs> we obviously missed the last two games if you yeah. guys are tuning in now because uh the the one the two games before this we were on the mean power on the road in toronto and it was just too ridiculous for us to try and set up a post-game show but i, I mean honestly it's probably a good thing because those two games were just horrible the 9-3 loss to the winnipeg jets was the most embarrassing and probably worst game for the ducks all season and then they followed that up with a 6-1 defeat to the Toronto Maple Leafs, where not as bad a game, but pretty close to it. Yeah, damn close. Uh, yeah, that Winnipeg one, uh, especially in the uh, the first period, was it was embarrassing to be around. Um, I've I've played on beer league teams, and I'm not joking. I played <laughs> on beer league teams that played better than I watched the Ducks play that period. That was horrific. I felt so bad as a goalie. We're watching John Gibson have to go through that and uh, not get pulled until after six goals. Who the hell waits that long to pull your goalie when he's got zero support? He's your ace in the hole. The only reason you're somewhere close to that and you're going to keep him in there just as an F you to the team or to him. I, I don't get he it. He was going to keep him in there, too. And then apparently uh, the Jets broadcast mentioned that. Ryan Getzlaff had to give him a little bit like a nod or like, hey, you you should probably get him out of there. Like at that point, you're down six nothing. Like Gibby's obviously getting shelled a bit, and it's not really his fault. But what there's no point in waiting to the intermission. Like I get the logic behind it. Sometimes teams do. Like if it's three nothing, four nothing, you're like, yeah, we'll just wait to intermission. We'll pull him after, and we'll kind of regroup there. But six nothing on thirteen shots, like that point you say okay we got to get him out of there and put somebody else in there there's there's two reasons you, you pull a goalie in the first period either he's not focused enough and he's letting in super soft goals not necessarily the case we're all used to john gibson doing highlight reel saves and being just the the rock uh you know last line of defense that helps everyone out 
So he, he wasn't having the best of games. He wasn't at his top level. So I can maybe understand maybe being a little bit off. The other reason you get rid of him is because your team is playing so god-awful in front of him. You pull him and then tell your team, I had to pull him because you guys suck. You owe him an apology. Start playing better. I've got to do this. That happens between goal three, four, sometimes two. It doesn't happen yeah. after the fifth goal. It doesn't happen after the sixth goal. And then someone else has to tell you to, hey, you know, pull them now. The sixth goal was scored. And then a TV timeout before they actually pulled them. I mean, it's just it's just a giant F you to the team, in my opinion, and especially to your goalie. And when your goalie's just been the only person that's producing well beyond what he should be, uh, to do that is just a, a Sorry, a D move all the way, hundred percent D move. He just looks tired, or or like he's given up, which I wouldn't blame him because I mean he just looks like he's just done with it all. Because Exhausted. you look, yeah, you look at look at the goals that were scored against him in both of those games, and even tonight, a lot of bad turnovers. And even if there were turnovers that didn't lead to goals, they were pretty close to it. One bad turnover that I remember from the Toronto game was Josh Manson threw a backhand pass just up the middle of the ice. Nobody said yep. he was not even looking, and then he yep. made a, a turnover that led to a goal in this game as well. And it's not just him, it's everybody. But, man, I mean, those games were bad. And then you get a back-to-back where you know John Gibson isn't going to start tonight against Montreal. And in the back of your head, you're like, this can't get much worse. It, it's not going to get better, but there's no way they're <laughs> going to get shelled, you know, 9 to nothing with, with Chad Johnson in there. Luckily, it didn't get to that case, but it wasn't oh. a much better game. No, not in the first period. It was freaking 3 nothing. I mean, it's almost had that feel like, oh. Here we go again. All right, it's going to be another, you know, absolute shellacking. And it was it was pretty close to that. It just wasn't quite to the level we had seen the last two games. It's almost Montreal kind of let up. They they had a, a really really great first period, and they're like, okay, well we can sit back now. We're you know we know they're not really good when uh, they're trailing. They just don't score a lot of goals. And Montreal this season has been a team that will go up two or three, and then they'll just close it up for the rest of the game. They will shut down and almost transition to a defense first style of game. <laughs> but let's let's get into the pregame before we break down this. Uh, there was a tweet, I think, or it's from an article that was talking about the Ducks this year and just how bad it's gotten. I think it was almost maybe even around Christmas where they were uh, upper half of the league in goals against. And that was mostly because of John Gibson. But now you look at it, they're minus 44 before this game, goal differential. That's now minus 47. Uh, that was the league's worst by seven going into this game. I'm sure it's just gotten even worse with the Kings with one of the teams that were down there, and they won tonight 4-1. to one. By, Yeah, so, by four goals, and yeah, we, went, so, we lost by like three. So Yeah, so <laughs> that four. gap gets even bigger. Uh, they yeah. score the least amount of goals now. They've actually passed L.A. Uh, 31st at 2.28 goals per game. They create fewer opportunities, the fewest opportunities, at 27.1 shots on goal per game. That's worse than the Ottawa Senators, who they were trailing before. And they allow the third worst uh, chances against in 34.2 shots per game. And now they, their goals against per game is at 3.13, which is 21st in the league. So they've gone from John Gibson being able to save the day to goaltending kind of going out the window because oh, he can only do that for so long. And now everything is just catching up to them. They're, they're pretty much bottom third in the league and everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from a, a goalie perspective, uh, you know, it's, it's one of, it, it's definitely a mental thing. It's not a physical thing for him. Um, but when you start playing and things keep going wrong, uh, eventually it will wear on you when your team keeps turning it over and you keep bailing them out. You either get to this point where like, okay, 
no one's either trying to make this easy on me or it comes to a point where like I I don't know, you know, as pucks start going in, am I now doing things differently? Is my setup? You almost have to just reset. You have to step away from everything. Just refocus on the little things you're doing. And I mean, to get pulled in the last three games prior to this one, I mean, that's not John Gibson. His skill is there, but the focus and your focus has to be 100% when you're going into games. And if it's not there at the NHL level, you'll, you'll let in the goals that you were maybe stopping. And it's it's insane. He has the most shots against, the most saves in the entire it's league, so high ridiculous. danger chances through the damn roof. I mean, there's there's no way you can look at that goal and go like, well, why isn't he stopping things all of a sudden? He sucks. It's just you can't blame him. I don't think many people do, but just in case you don't know, that's exhausting. That was our last chance at possibly doing anything remotely close to a playoff run. Yeah, it, John Gibson can't do anything else. And and there was actually some people who thought he was going to start in this game, but after what happened last game, despite only playing uh, pretty much, I guess, a little more than half of the game, there was no chance he was going to get put in a back-to-back and get shelled again. So, so Chad Johnson comes in, uh, which I already had writing on the wall a bit. Nothing against Chad Johnson. I have nothing against the guy, but he just isn't that great of a goaltender. And the Ducks haven't had a reliable backup since Ryan Miller went out. So you look at this going in as the matchup is, is Carey Price versus Chad Johnson. You've got a team who just can't score any goals, can't create any chances. You kind of knew what type of game it was going to be going into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and, you know, I mean, uh, Chad Johnson did fine, in my opinion. He He's a career backup. He played like a career backup. It's it's nothing amazing. It's nothing that really hurt the team all that much. But at the same time, uh, yeah, we could really use Ryan Miller back. And as far as Gibson, in my opinion, he needs two, three games away. I really don't think the Ducks are going to... Um, all of a sudden really need that because in my opinion this season is pretty much written in stone at this point so why make gibson go in there feel worse than he already does i feel like at this point if miller is healthy enough have him come in start let him start a game or two and like gibby just kind of refocus and get back into it because it's and, just and the it's, thing is, it sucks it's not even physical fatigue it's just mental oh, fatigue i mean 100%. i'm sure there is a bit of physical fatigue for gibson because he's played so many games he's facing so yeah. many shots you know he's carrying the team on his back but a lot of it's just mental i mean this guy is now getting he gets shelled in the all-star game which we said he wasn't really trying anyway but maybe that weighs on you a bit but then you come out of the all-star break after just kind of hearing it from media and twitter that you got shelled then you come out you you lose 9-3 <laughs> you lose 6-1 and then obviously he's not part of this game, but that that's hard to deal with. I mean, you know, this is a guy who's done everything he can, even did as much as he could in those games. And, you know, he's just getting hung out to dry. So, I, you know, you might put him out for two or three games, but I think at this point it wouldn't even help. Like this guy just needs this season to be over, regroup and start fresh next year. But it really sucks because just probably before the St. Louis game, there was still like a flame of hope that maybe he's yeah. Vesna worthy. He might just take this whole team and drag them across the finish line and somehow into the playoffs in a really crappy conference and division. And there's just that everyone just, you know, it finally just gave like an injury or a Corey Perry knee. It just gave out at some point. <laughs> and really, nope, no more. We're done. It's that's, just, that's where yeah. it's at. It, it's insane how the conversation has shifted from that, where we were talking about, Vesna worthy season, which he should still be considered for like the heart because of what he means to this team. But 
it, it's crazy after you know two games where it's just been absolute bullshit for for Gibson, where it's kind of shifted the entire conversation. But we'll get into this game. A couple of the pregame notes again. Derek Grant and Patrick Eves were healthy scratched in this game. Not mm. like they're contributing a lot anyway. But it's funny when you look at a team that needs offense and you bring in Gibbons and Cracknell for Grant and Eves. Yeah, you don't dare talk about number one elite center Derek Grant like that ever again. You understand me? I just don't get it. it, it <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, he's been okay. I, I can't say he's I been know. bad. You know, he I guess he is what you expected from him so far this year, but it's yeah. just you know, they're looking for changes and they're almost getting desperate. Like, oh, we have these two guys who aren't playing. Maybe if we throw them in there, we can switch things up a bit. But the you know, the first big change of the season lineup wise we saw in Game 53 against the Leafs, where yeah. they changed up all three lines. Everybody, I guess, except for Getzlaff, Raquel, and Perry, but the the uh, the remaining three lines were completely changed up. There's guys all over the place. Lindholm yeah. finally got back with Manson, which only lasted one game. Fowler with Montour, and that lasted one game. And all it took was a a six one defeat for them to go back to what wasn't working anyway in, in the first <laughs> no. place. So. The nine three brought him that way. Six one brings him back. Four one won't matter. It's just uh, it's uh, this team is lost, and uh, yeah, it, it showed throughout this game. So I mean, at this point, I mean, I, I think they have the most amount of players that have played on the team in the entire NHL. So that is a lot to do with how much injury they've had. But at the same time, they're trying to find any piece that could possibly work in any uh, realm uh, in their game, and there's nothing. There is absolutely nothing short of goaltending. It's 44 different players the Ducks have used this year, which is leading the league, which is just ridiculous, and I guess it makes sense when you look at how far ahead they are in main games lost. Like, there's going to be a lot of different guys in and out of the lineup, but that's just a, a ridiculous number. Anyway, Corbinian Holzer is the other guy who dropped out originally thought he was sent down but apparently he was sent home for personal reasons so hopefully everything is good on his end and that means jacob magna who was scratched last game he was in for this one as well yeah yeah and you know what uh you know watching you know since we're kind of recapping three games uh the two previous games uh you know holzer played as well on defense as any other defenseman uh for the ducks but the one thing i thought he brought was a little bit of an attitude and a little bit of physical style uh, that I thought was missing a lot. I feel like we were doing a little bit better, especially against Toronto. We were hitting a lot more early on. And, uh, you know, especially with Holzer on defense, you know, he was, you know, his his first track at, uh, you know, NHL games this season. So, uh, it's, you know, hope everything's fine. But I really prefer him in there over literally anybody else in that 5-6 slot. Yeah, Magna or uh, sorry, Holzer and Delzato, they weren't good together, which uh, I guess is kind of predictable. I didn't hate Holzer, but you know, you get what you get with him. You you get yeah. some physical presence now and then, and he's a, a very stay-at-home guy, and I uh, can't really pass the puck efficiently, and will make some mistakes. That's what you get from him. But when you're not, you when you're wanting to keep, you know, Josh Mahara down in the minors or Andy Walensky down there, that's what you're going to kind of get with this bottom pairing when you have. The only other option down there is Andre Schuster, and that's not much better anyway. And you you moved Luke Shen, and he's not physical. Yeah, yeah. You moved Luke Shen, who was physical, to bring in uh, Michael Delzato, who isn't. So that's kind of your only option right now. But yeah, the the Ducks uh, are missing a physical presence, in my opinion, on the defensive end. Now, I that 
Manson's should be Josh con- Manson. It, it should, should be. be. It should be. You would think like, hey, after last season where he's at now, that should totally be his his zone. You're like, hey, you're the guy. You're top four. We want you here. We'll put you with you know Lindholm now. But he's he seems so lost and confused in the whole the whole scheme of things that uh, I, I don't mind Holzer being in there. Literally just push somebody after they score a goal. That happened in Toronto where he gave the dude a, a, yeah. a punch to the face or face wash or whatever. He was pissed. And it was, it was nice to see some sort of life, some sort of physicality. Cause right now we just got a bunch of guys just skating in circles, watching the other team score goals. Yeah. I, I mean, the physical presence is almost there right now out of frustration. That's it. You know, guys yeah. are engaging physically because they're upset. It's yeah. not that they're trying to be passed or they're trying to get back to the old style that the ducks used to play. It's just out of pure frustration, but let's quickly, let's get through this game as quickly as we possibly can, because it's just as disappointing as the last two. Uh, but what's becoming a trend now for the ducks is they seem to just not be able to get a shot on goal for at least the first five to 10 minutes of the game. I think it was seven <laughs> minutes in this one before they seven, got a seven shot. Seven and on a goal. half. And it was a weak shot, I think by sprung from almost the corner. And it was, it, you, uh, Cor- uh, Carey Price could have just left his gear on the ground and that would have deflected to the side. I mean, there, it, no one had to actually be in the way for that. It was just almost, I got across the blue line. Here's a, here's a floater. One or two games is okay, but what like this is now this is a trend in at least the last three games that I trend I've or an identity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <point>. Well, <laughs> that's when you have you generate the fewest chances against. That's why when you can't for you know a, a, a sixth of the game you can't generate any shots on goal whatsoever. For and that, and that's how you open the game. Like that's not a good way. That's not a good way to start the game if you're trying to get off on a good foot. Is you have literally no shots. Getting outshot, I think at one point it was five nothing or four nothing is what they're yeah. getting outshot for the first five to ten minutes of the game. Yeah, no, I mean uh, for for a Ducks team that's looking for any sort of confidence because um, they're having a crisis of that, you you can't go seven and a half minutes with one weak shot and then ten plus minutes before you actually generate a second one against arguably one of the best technical goalies in the game and Carey Price. I mean you just kind of making it nothing but easy for the team you're you're trying to turn your season or turn your losing skid around so i mean you you, you got to do something to get in there but i mean shots from the point with the only guy in taking a shot is just it's never gonna work yeah and one thing we mentioned briefly in the pregame stuff was josh manson with his turnovers in the last few games and that's exactly what led to the first goal in this game is I have no idea what Josh Manson was doing on this play. He looked like he was trying to backhand it, turning around up the boards. He gives a right to Jonathan Drouin. And not only does he give the puck away, nobody is covering Brendan Gallagher, who's alone in the slot, which becomes a trend in this game. And and he, you know, he makes a very good shot. But when you have that much space in a prime position like that, and you got a guy who has now 20 goals in, in this league this year, he's going to make you pay. Oh, but, but he's helped my fantasy so much. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, Josh Manson on that one particular play. Yeah, he. This is where I I start to blame coaching or the system a little bit, and that is uh, Josh Manson doesn't know where people are going, doesn't know where his forwards are going to be, and his forwards don't know what Josh Manson's going to do. So when Josh Manson goes back to a puck that he should completely be able to handle and should absolutely outlet, 
he has to do a pick his head up, look over his shoulder, look left, look right. Where are people going? The second he picks his head up and makes a look, he bobbles the puck, realizes he bobbles it, and then all of a sudden has to stop, turn around, and it's a turnover. And this is also something that just happens game in and game out in the defensive zone when we have full possession. It's guys picking their head up because they don't know what anyone else is going to do or where they're going. And that's why passes don't connect, and that's why turnovers happen a lot. Or they go, well, nothing's there. I'm going to come back. And then they come back, and then they're just more hemmed in because the team starts forechecking. And it's just so easy to pick off duck defensemen as they're trying to make outlet passes because they can't do it because no one knows what anyone is doing. It should be second nature. It should be out of the zone. You should know where that guy's going. It shouldn't be this whole, well, what's that guy going to do now? Oh, crap, I lost it. Yeah, and, and, you know, Cam Fowler did the thing that you love so much. He did his little uh, flamingo Pirouette. in front of the net where he spun <laughs> around. and tried. Like this, this is something that Cam Fowler <laughs> – I, I I wouldn't know if he's done this for his entire career because it just feels like with the, how bad the Ducks have been, you've noticed it more this year. Yeah. But he loves to kind of turn into shots, but not really in a, an effective way to block it. Like he almost just yeah. turns away from the shooter and <laughs> kind of just throws his stick in the direction of the puck. And it happens so many times. And this year it's been so bad because a lot of them have been a result of a goal. I'm not saying yeah. it's his fault on this yeah. play, but – when that's your attempt to one-on-one defend a guy who's open in the slot and you see it and now it's become a trend, like that's, that's a problem. Yeah. He's, he would be a great goalie. He is always square to wherever the shot is, but he's so far back. It doesn't matter. And he's not wearing goalie. Because, so if the puck's behind the net and it gets passed out front, he literally moves with it and just stares at it. It's just, there's no movement to where the puck is. It's just, Oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Oh, it's behind me. Oh, it's over there. He just looks at wherever it's going and then might wave a stick around for a little while and hope that he gets a deflection on it. You know, other than that, the puck has to come to his feet for him to do anything with it. If it's anywhere outside of his feet or within immediate reach, He's he's swimming, he's twirling, and uh, you, you can't play defense that way. No, and and it continued honestly from here on. Uh, this first period, like we said, was is just kind of similar in in the way it was resulting to the Winnipeg game. Obviously, not as bad. It wasn't six goals, but not long later, Montreal would get on the board again. It was uh, Manson and or sorry, not Manson, Lindholm and Montour who were victims of this one. Joel Armia just kind of walks in uncontested on the left circle. And uh, Lindholm just kind of gets on one knee. I don't think he realizes that anybody's behind him to yeah. block the pass. And uh, he lets the shot come in. It's not a great rebound by um, by yeah, Chad, Chad Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. And then nobody, there's three Ducks players. Nobody picks up Jesperi Kotkaniemi, who just kind of glides in. And he is somehow the only guy to get a stick on this puck. I, I mean, there's three guys back-checking, including Jakob Silverberg and Devin Shore, who are supposed to be two of the Ducks' best defensive forwards. But they can't do anything. And Kotkaniemi all of a sudden has three goals in his last three games. Yeah, this one is... I like to blame it on Johnson leaving a fat rebound right in the middle. But when a shot is coming from your side and it is shot so directly into your pad and with such velocity that it bounces off the pad and goes right, you, you, you hope you deflect it somewhere else, but you're mostly just trying to block the shot. And that's tough. And unfortunately, it goes right out, right onto the stick of the guy. I mean, at that point, you're kind of almost dead in the water. 
yeah, it's one of those things where like maybe you have your stick out and, and when you get it, you maybe get the stick on it to kind of push it up and out, something to deflect it up. But that was a hard shot right in the pad and that angle, it was almost like a, a shot for a rebound. It wasn't really like a shot to score. It was just, I'm going to thud this off your pad and hope for chaos to ensue. And uh, <laughs> it was little chaos because it literally went to the stick of the guy who put it yeah. in the net. So. It, it just it just felt like it, the entire period the Ducks couldn't get anything going. At one point, shots were seven to one. The Ducks had slight pressure here and there, but it wasn't anything consistent. Uh, high danger chances were ten to two at the end of this period, or just sorry, scoring chances were ten to two. High danger chances were six to two, and Montreal would finish out the period with another goal uh, as a result of the Ducks failing to clear again. And this comes at the, the victim of a guy who is supposed to be the best at exiting the zone with the puck in Cam Fowler. He gets rubbed out along the boards. And then somehow, again, Brendan Gallagher <laughs> is left wide. I mean, this is the easiest two goals he's, so, he's probably He's so scored. tiny. No one can see where he is. He just hides yeah. right in that spot. <laughs> well, you get the ever-so-effective the ever so effective three guys lining up in front of the goaltender in, uh, with the Ducks defending here. I don't know what that attempt was where they're all literally in a row lined up in front of Chad Johnson, looking at Jonathan Drew and make that pass to Brendan Gallagher alone in the slot. And he's got an easy one timer from almost the exact same position. He scored his first goal and, and Montreal's up three, nothing. And, and again, we talked about John Gibson, not being having to really blame him for a lot of the goals that get scored on him. I think if you look at this, uh, both of Brendan Gallagher's goals, you really can't blame Chad Johnson too much. I mean, you're giving their best goal scorer a prime position to shoot from when he's uncontested. Yeah, and this is another case of the Ducks defense, in this case, Cam Fowler, where it should have been an easy exit out of the zone, but he he can't do it. There's a guy uh, doing a, a flyby almost, like barely forechecking. He's just like, ah, I'm in the area and I'll throw a stick there. And literally Cam Fowler can't do anything but fumble it to him. He gets it, comes back down. And then it's uh, one of the defense, I think it was Josh Manson, tells Getzloff to go, you know, go this way. I'll go that way. And then it's a pass right to the middle. No one picks him up. He just he, he crushes it. And then it's, ugh. There's nothing. There's nothing a goalie's gonna do. So yeah, I, I, you know, it's just like hope it hits you at that point. Be big, but not let anything through you. I mean, it's it's rough. It's a one timer be... from the high slot. I mean, that is that's where exactly where you want to get a one timer, and you give yeah, it yeah. to a guy like I said, who's their leading goal scorer, who's a twenty goal scorer consistently. That is generally gonna go into the back of your net. I, I don't want to spend too much longer on this game because Thank honestly, God. like we mentioned, Montreal after they get a lead, usually closes down, which they did after yeah. this. It was a very boring <laughs> game for the rest of this game. Yeah. yeah. The first period. I mean, the first period sucked anyway, but then Montreal just completely closed it out and Carey Price took control. And uh, I'll, I'll go over the last two goals, and that's pretty much it. Uh, Getzlaff would score against the pace of play. The Ducks get a little bit lucky that the, the puck bounces into the zone off a little bit of a scramble. Uh, then there's a whiff shot that Corey Perry kind of picks up throws on net. Just perfectly lands to Ryan Getzlaff behind the net, <laughs> who actually attempts the probably the slowest wraparound I've ever seen. But <laughs> Carey Price is is fooled by that shot oh, that bounced to yeah. him, that it ends up working out. Getzlaff has a, a really long reach to begin with, but he he does almost get there. Price does, but honestly, yeah, this felt like the slowest wraparound I've ever seen. Getzlaff yeah. gets his eleventh which is ridiculous that this far in the season 11 is almost, I, I think it's, there's, I don't think it's leading the Ducks, I think but it, 13. it's 
Yeah, I think it, it's close enough that it's ridiculous that yeah. <laughs> 11, 12, 13. Yeah, like you have to think about it total. at 11. <laughs> yeah, it's what the leading total is on the Ducks right now. Oh, my God. But, uh, I mean, yeah, great for Getzlaff. The problem that I have with this goal is is it was against the pace of play. And even you look at Ricard Raquel's goal uh, against Toronto last night, it was a great shot by him. But they got one clean zone entry. He walked in by himself and just fired a perfect shot. It wasn't any good setup. It wasn't, a, you know, a good zone exit with some possession. It was just that one was against the pace of play. Ricard Raquel made a good shot. Those are the last two Ducks goals that they have scored. Other than that, they haven't really generated anything. Yeah, and there's almost no, once again, you know, it sucks because, you know, I hate to put this so much on coaching, but when you practice something, it should be zone exits, what you do through the neutral zone, how you enter the other zone. And then once you're in the zone, you can let players offensively be creative. You can't, they can't even get to that point if they somehow miraculously get it out of their own zone and it's not icing, um, and they don't turn it over in the neutral zone, so they have to dump and chase, or it's just maybe a shot, and then there's no recovery, there's no setup, there's nothing there. There's no way this team can even try and use offensive creativity when they can't get into the zone with possession and make a play happen. And I feel like that's, that's a fundamental problem, that they can't go from one zone to the next zone to the third zone without losing it somewhere along the way. And that's because yeah. everyone's lost and what the hell they're trying to do. Yeah, the Ducks have really only had one defenseman who's been good at exiting their, their zone with possession this year, and that's been Hampus Lindholm. And the only guy for them who's been consistently good at actually entering the offensive zone with possession is Brandon Montour. Other than that, everybody's either been close to average or below average. So yeah. when you've got literally one defenseman who can exit your zone and one who can actually enter the offensive zone, you don't really have a lot of momentum coming from the back end. Uh, we'll finish with the last goal yeah. by Deneau because I don't want to. I don't want to sit on this for too long because this game. <laughs> Sorry. Nobody I, wants I, to, to talk <laughs> about this game for any longer, right? Nope. So Philip Deneau, uh, Jonathan Drennan's getting his third assist of this game. He makes a beautiful pass to Deneau yeah. at the back post that does fool Johnson. Not a great shot, uh, but he just kind of squeaks it through him, and, and it ends up trickling over the line. This one, I guess, you, you know, it's it's one of the ones you have to chalk up to is just a great play. I guess nobody does back check that hard on Deneau, but Duran almost is, is completely behind the net at this point where he makes that reverse pass. Evgeny Kuznetsov has made that famous in Washington yeah. where he does that on pretty much every play he can get. Uh, it is a bit on Josh Manson for not picking him up, but that's just a great play on that one. Yeah, yeah, they call it a Gretzky's office for a reason. Behind the net is uh, yeah. it's extremely tough for a goalie, especially when someone like Drew N is is getting the puck and moving at a high rate of speed behind you, because you can only look over your left shoulder until about the midpoint, and then you've got to do that thing where you stop watching the puck and try and pick him back up over here. And when you start doing that, at this point, you have no idea what's happening. That could go back. That guy could keep going. You could flip it over the net. You're completely lost in that moment. So that was a, a great point to throw it. Johnson doesn't do too terrible of a job of actually picking it back up and trying to jump back over. But the yeah. play happens at such a quick rate that it's thrown, shot, and in between the pads, off the back pad, and then kind of comes off and just barely crossed the line. 
goalies, they're handcuffed. They're, I mean, like I said, a lot of plays down low and especially behind the net, goalies are in a real tough position because players can pass it so well. There's so much more speed. And if your guys are not guarding the uh, the other forwards out there, you're at the mercy. You're just, I've got to follow the puck and I've got to be able to see it. And at some point, I got to turn my head around. And, and uh, Drew did a very good job of throwing it back. It was a great timing play. Not much a goalie's going to do. So with that goal, the Ducks would drop <laughs> their 17th game and their last in their last 19 played, two 13 and four record over that span, which uh, doesn't make it sound any better. You know, as if two uh, 17 and 0 would be much better. You picked up four extra points two, there. at two, this yeah, point. Two wins. Two wins is all you have to realize. Yeah, at, at this point, I think fans would rather have those four OT shootout losses just be regulation losses because then you would be below LA and Chicago right now in the standings and closer to uh, a, a top three draft pick. But that's the case. The, the funny kind of symmetry between this set of games and, and the last set of games where Randy Carlisle was fired is that uh, the Ducks ended up, uh, I think they were on a, a similar run to this where they were losing a ton of games. They ended up going and losing. Identical record, 2-14-4. Yeah. and four. They they had lost badly to Toronto. Then they went in on the back-to-back to face Montreal. They won, and then Randy Carlo got fired. <laughs> they don't end up winning this game, but I, I don't think it would have mattered no matter what. I think we were kind of at the same spot right now where Randy Carlo just isn't going to get fired no matter what this year. It's just... It's just not going to happen. The fact that he's made it through a 12-game losing streak and now, before tonight, 16 of their last 18 with getting outscored 15-4 to in your last two games, this guy will endure anything that could happen this year. Yeah, I mean, um, he's invincible. I mean, at least we have an invincible coach. I mean, one that cannot be brought down no matter the circumstances, no matter how horrible things are. This guy will prevail. I don't think I've ever seen this where I don't a team either. has been so bad where the GM just will not fire the coach. He just, just doubled he doubled down and said, I'm not firing him. And now I, I But there's been I guys who've done that. And then it's just gotten so bad where you're like, I right, I mean, sorry, man, I gotta do it. Like it something has to change here. Usually that's the first thing to go. And you know, Bob Murray's not made any big trades, but he's made three or four trades before even firing the coach and then it just continued to get worse i mean i'm not saying it will make a difference at this point but how do you not do it because i don't think anybody would ever make it through this all it does is it pisses off the fan base and it 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 pretty much just pisses everybody off so if you're if you're pissing somebody off and especially the people who are the ones who are going to be buying season tickets next year and you go I mean, not that a GM should, you know, make day-to-day decisions on what the fans say, but at yeah. some point you got to look at it and go, like, "Jesus, this, we're the laughing stock." I mean, it's just, it's so well, nobody's bad. Nobody's providing direction either. Like nobody's t- telling the fans like we're gonna do this. And like you know, Rob Blake didn't come out. He wasn't the one who uh, penned a message to season ticket holders and said this is the direction we're going. Luke Robitaille did. And he yeah. came out and he said, this is the direction we're going in. You're telling me nobody in that in the Ducks organization can come out and say, hey, you know what, guys? We've been bad this year. We know it. We're looking to trend this team in a different direction. We're looking to retool and hopefully be better in next year and the next coming years. We're looking towards the future. At least some kind of, of similar thing to that. 
but you've had contradictory statements from Bob Murray where he says this team isn't good enough, but you know he doesn't know if he's going to buy or sell. And then you hear him saying he's looking or looking to or close to re-signing Jakob Silverberg, which completely goes against the fact that he's saying they aren't good enough to win and that they won't be for for at least the next couple of years. Like he just keeps flip-flopping between what direction he's going in, and that's what I think is most most frustrating for fans and especially season ticket holders because if they're looking to buy tickets next year, they want to know if this team is going to try and compete, if they're going to completely try and do a full rebuild or retool, and, and no concrete direction has really been laid out for anybody. Yeah, and, you know, and I hope it's not a idea that, well, hey, if we say, you know, we're, we're done this year, but we're, you know, we're going in this direction, it might take a season or two. A rebuild now, especially with the, what the Ducks have coming in, it's not, uh, it's not like it used to be. It's not like it's, you know, unfortunately for Detroit, it is. But for most teams, if, if you've drafted well and you're good, it's not a really long rebuild process. You can get back in to the thick of things if you've drafted well and you've got enough there or you got enough assets. And it's a young game, so you don't have to try and you know build them up and wait till they're in their mid-20s before all of a sudden they start being good. They can be good and young. But I hope it's not, well, hey, I don't want to tell our season ticket holders that, hey, we might be in a little bit of a rebuild. And, uh, you know, and then their fear is that all of a sudden people go, well, I'm not showing up for a rebuild season. I feel if you treat the fans and the season ticket holders as adults and say, listen, there's going to be a growing pain. There's going to be a little bit of a gap between the, the old guard and the new guard. And it's going to be a small gap. And we're trying to make it even smaller if we can. Hang with us. We're going to do that. I think everyone responds to that. At least you're open and transparent. The Ducks are the worst at transparency. They don't let anything negative happen. They exactly, won't say yeah. anything negative. You can't say anything negative or you're blacklisted. I think I'm blacklisted just now, just saying that. But, <laughs> I mean, it's just it's that bad about how they won't communicate or treat their fans like adults. Just do it. It's, it's a mini little rebuild, but we're not that far away. Just say that. Well, Tommy put it perfectly in our chat. He said, Bob Murray has the pieces in place for the future. And the thing is, you look at this team, and a lot of people have noticed, and we have some quotes later from a couple of articles from The Athletic that kind of support that, is that, you know, you look at the goaltender, John Gibson, young goaltender, just going into his prime, a great goaltender has the potential to be one of the best in the league, and they have him locked down for a long time. They've got a very young defense core in Cam Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, Brandon Montu, and Josh Manson that are good enough to build around and be a contender. Yeah, maybe you'll end up moving one, and, and then you still have Josh Maher and Jakob Larson who could move in, and then depending on who else you draft from there. that That's a very good base to build from and build a championship from. And then you look up front, you've got Ricard Raquel, who's, yes, he's having a down year, but he's still a very good young player, and everybody's having a down year. And then you've got a yeah. ton of prospects. You've got Sam Steele, Troy Terry, Comtois, Max Jones. You know, this Kasha looks... Fast. Exactly. you got Andre Cash as well. Honestly, this looks like... And they don't want to admit it, and Bob Murray does not seem to want to go this direction. This is one or two seasons of being very bad, getting a Jack Hughes, getting a Capo Caco, then maybe getting another top 10 pick, getting another forward, a high-end elite top-line forward. And then you've got pretty much all the pieces in place. You've got, let's say, they they get lucky. They get the lottery. You've got a Jack Hughes, a Ricard Raquel, and whoever you draft next year, if you're bad again that year. Then you've got Steele, Comtois, Terry, Jones, all of those guys, Kasha, to fill out uh, the rest of your top nine. That's a legitimate good uh, forward group, a top nine forward group. If you're looking at contending after, let's say, Getzlaff and Perry's contracts expire, that's the next time I could really see 
the Ducks being a contending team in the Western Conference. And the timeline sets up perfectly for that. Be bad this year. Be bad next year. Get a top five, a top ten pick. Hit on those two picks and, and have some elite top end forwards coming into the group. Supplement them with the forwards you already have coming up that are going to be very good by the time Jack Hughes and, and whoever else or whoever you get in this draft are ready to go. And then you're set up to contend for five to six years after the Seattle expansion draft. That's the direction they should be going in. But Bob Murray just doesn't seem to want to admit that they're going to be that bad. Because on paper, they shouldn't be that bad. But he just doesn't want to admit it that they are. Yeah, and I'd be more interested to see what the coaching, the new coaching staff that's gonna be coming in is is gonna do. Because I don't even think you gotta you gotta tank for two years. In my opinion, the Ducks are primed with their young talent to actually compete in this NHL. They need new coaching. Uh, it would be great to get a franchise player because we don't have one. I mean, Gibson. I would maybe say as a franchise player, Raquel's borderline cautious. Genslav still still technically is. He's not a. An he's elite a franchise. Level he's a, but he's David, the last. But. He's the last one we've had since Solani, and it, you know he's in the waning years of any NHL players thing. I mean, he, he may still be around for years after this, but he's not going to be that force. And it's been a long time since the Ducks have had a draft pick that's come in and become that franchise player. I think Gibson is is probably where it's at, but we also need a forward. There's just there hasn't been a franchise forward yeah. player since Getzloff's, you know, and Solani's been a long time. I mean, since we've drafted, we haven't really drafted a franchise forward since Getzloff or Listen, I think there's the only if, two. Yeah, if, if you get <laughs> if you get Jack Hughes, I think you can be bad just this year. Get you know even if you miss the playoffs by a little bit next year, or you make it and lose in the first round, and you get you know a middle of the pack pick, and you at least hit on that and get a decent top six forward from that point, you're fine. I don't think you have to be horrible for the next two years. I just don't know if a new coach is going to be able to come in next year and completely change the the entire way this team plays. We we know it's coach, we know it's a system problem, but we talked about it. I, I believe in the last podcast we were with you, we both were on together is we said, you know, a lot of these players are still buying in to the old way that this team played because that's the that's what they were brought in to do. That's what this team was built around was to be a physical big heavy Western Conference team and they just have had difficulties transitioning into a, the faster NHL. A lot of that's on coaching, but some of it's on them as well. And to say that maybe Gronberg or Dallas Aikens or Sheldon Keefe or whoever can come in next year and completely change it around, that, that's tough. I, I, you know, I would like to think they'd be a playoff team. I'd like to think if they got Jack Hughes and he makes the roster next year and you have a, a player of his capability entered into it along with a lot of the younger guys that they would have a, uh, have a shot. But, you know, if you at least get him, that... That's a big booster. That that puts you in, in contention once all these young guys are ready to go and you, you're able to move some of these contracts off the books. Yeah, since Nick Ritchie, the Ducks have not had a really high draft pick. I mean, way up there. So it, it's it'd be nice to finally see that happen. Like I said, they, they could use a little bit of a punch, uh, and especially since younger players now are so more, you know, are much more prevalent or have much more of an impact than they used to. Um, the sooner you get those higher picks, the sooner they can make an impact for your team. Yeah, and Apparition brings up a good point, too, about kind of going against what I said. He said, look how quickly the Islanders turned around with a new coach. Teams can turn it around quick when they buy in. That's very true because we all thought the Islanders were going to be horrible this year. Not me. Uh, 
Well, yeah. Did you? Well, did you say they were going to make the playoffs? Uh, right, I don't better think statement. I, I, nobody thought they were going to be this good this year. <laughs> top of their yeah, division. That that that's good. Yeah, I didn't think they'd be the top in their division. But the one thing I did say is that Barry Trotz is really good on defense and defensive structure. He did that with uh, Washington, even though Washington was great on offense. I figured they'd suck on. Yeah, they had been sucking on defense. He comes in, all of a sudden they get everything together and they get, you know, Braden Holpe and they, you know, they lowest goals against that sort of deal. So I figured he would change the worst power play and the worst defense. And he did. Uh, I didn't yeah. think they, I had no idea they were 31st to first, but <laughs> that's the problem too is, is it's great to look at that and be like, oh, yeah, like this can happen, but it doesn't it, happen. I, it doesn't happen often. <laughs> like he was the perfect fit yeah, that's for odd. what they had and what they needed. Plus, plus you get Robin Lehner who just is playing great this year. Now, he, you know, he struggled he in Buffalo. Good. Yeah, and, and Grace has always kind of been a solid backup, half-starter type guy. But then you get Rob Lehner, who comes in, who can support that. And then you've got a 1A, 1B that just really works. And they've been doing well. So it is a lot on Barry Trotz to have a stable defense in front of those two goalies. But you got to give a lot of credit to to Lehner and Grice for, for riding the ship there and actually getting some decent goaltending the Islanders. But then you look at other teams who have brought in coaches, and it hasn't necessarily worked out as well. So, yes, it can work out like this, and you would hope that the Ducks could bring in that perfect fit, that guy who just seamlessly fits in, and the Ducks go from near the bottom of the league to first in the Pacific next year. That's what you would hope for, but there's no... Gromberg. Yeah, that's what we would hope, right? But there's no saying that Gromberg comes in, and then all of a sudden his style and the way he wants to play fits with whatever roster the Ducks have next year. Or if, if Dallas Aikens, who's probably the likely option if he comes up next year, if his system is going to be any different. You know, we we hope so. But uh, you you, it's nice to look at Barry Trotz in the island and say it can happen, but it doesn't happen often enough where I'm like, okay, it's going to be like that for sure. Yeah, no, I... I agree. I mean, that's that's finding something. I mean, in my opinion, Barry Trotz is kind of the one-two in coach. I mean, he's he's just up there. So you're not going to find that same person, um, and especially one that's been able to do it through the decades like he has and been able to adapt. You don't find that too often. And when you have a team like the Ducks, where they're kind of middle of the road in our division, you're going to need a good coach to probably make those players or have a system in there to make these players be able to compete within the division or the conference and actually become relevant. It's not easy. It's not quick. And it's, it's tough to find a coach that goes like that to, to yeah. make it change. But uh, they, I mean, when you look back at this season, this season is just, unfortunately it's a wash. It's, it's just not going to get much better. Yeah. Likely no matter what happens, even if it's best or, or, close to worst case scenario next year anything should be better than what's been going on this year I, I feel like just having a new voice in the locker room no matter what the outcome is next year will be completely different than this year yeah and, and I don't buy the fact that you know this team is uh you know the players all that bad because it's essentially kind of the same team but even you know maybe even a little bit quicker as far as foot speed goes from last year uh it, it's and I think everyone's more upset because it was just surprising how bad we've been. I mean, we yeah. have not competed in literally any game that I can think of. Well, even in the two games we won in this horrible streak, we got going on uh, against uh, New Jersey and I can't remember the other team we beat poor guys, but uh, 
I can't remember us actually competing throughout an entire game where we look like a better team. It just like, yeah, no. oh, we got they we beat got Minnesota oh, and New Jersey, and they didn't really yeah. look uh, they didn't look All that great, great in both those games. Minnesota. John Gibson really stole that game, and even in the uh, the New Jersey game, the Ducks looked a little bit better. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, you bring up a good point. You look at last year, the Ducks were 44, 25, and thirteen. They had one hundred and one points, a pretty good year, all things considered. The fact that they kind of fought their way back and, and clawed their way into home ice advantage in the first yeah. round, and then you look at this year, they're now what twenty one, twenty three, and nine after tonight's game, and. You know, a lot of things are the same and a lot of things are different. You look at last year, the big thing for the Ducks, again, was goaltending. Save percentage was high for them. We look at defense. It was, it was really John Gibson penalty kill, five on five. When they were leading, everything was John Gibson pretty much because they were still allowing a lot of shot attempts against. It's pretty much on par. Like shot attempts against, scoring chances against, high danger chances against. They're pretty much almost exactly the same to what the Ducks were doing last year in, in that concern when you look at defense. Some things are, are a little bit worse, but nothing is significantly worse, maybe one or two points in either direction. And, and again, it's just on save percentage. The difference is, is up front, is on offense. Yep. Is they're not generating as many shot attempts for. Uh, the power play is completely falling off a cliff. It wasn't great last year, but it was around average. And now it's it's one of the worst it's in the league. Thirty or um, twenty. And, and like the big thing, and this is if you want to check these out um, uh, from the the versus charts that uh, that they do on Twitter. Uh, I believe it's yeah. Who is it? Just Justin Paul. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. But it's the versus <laughs> charts. He he sent us uh, Randy Carlo versus Randy Carlo last year versus this year, and oh, sorry, it's Jason Paul. That's what it is. So anyway, uh, Randy <laughs> last year versus Randy this year. Big difference is when the Ducks were trailing last year, they were the comeback kids almost again, yeah. right? They, they were able yeah. to make a difference. When they were trailing, they were above average in uh, shot attempts four. They're above average in high danger chances four. They were almost best in the league in that category. Scoring chances four, they're above average. And their shooting percentage, which I don't know if I can – it's pretty close to being one of the best in the league when they were trailing. It was 9.5%. This year, it's 7.3%. And it's way, way below average. And, and, and same with all of those categories, generating ch shot attempts for, high danger chances for, uh, scoring chances for. They're all way down below average compared to last year. So it, it's just generating offense this year. It hasn't changed. And, and, you know, when you see these little things that have changed but not any big changes, to me that's look, that looks like they've tried to change the system a bit and it just hasn't worked. And that's, that's, that's I think, the reason why we look at this and say it's a systems problem because everything – the numbers wise looks pretty similar to last year, but the record is, is completely different, but they tweaked a little bit. It didn't work. They've refused to go back from it. And now they're in a spot where this team just can't play in this system or generate offense. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. And like you've said, it's, is they're stuck between what kind of worked, you know, what worked for most of last year, not in the playoffs, but what worked last year and what they're trying to accomplish this year and trying to catch up with what the rest of the NHL is doing. And the message is lost in between. You're trying to take a coach that doesn't play in the new NHL or play the new NHL way. And you're trying to make him figure out a way to do it. And he can't do it. And, and that's where everyone starts to get lost. And that's where 
goaltending hasn't changed. Goaltending, in my opinion, has gotten even better. I think John Gibson is way better than he was last year, and that's tough to do. I feel like he's one of the top one to three goalies in the entire NHL from a technical yeah. standpoint. Uh, you know, uh, you know, if he has to scramble, he's good. He does everything well. He doesn't get injured anymore. It's in, in the past. Now it's just there's no way for them to leave their zone, go through their neutral zone, get into the offensive zone, and then create offense from there. They're stuck back in their defensive zone. they got to jump through three hoops, and apparently no one knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And that, to me, is a fundamental coaching problem if no one knows what the hell they're doing or what the other person's doing. No, no, exactly. Uh, let's, because we missed the last two games, before we get into the last bit of pre- post-game notes we have, let's just do a bit of house cleaning because we missed a couple things. Uh, obviously, Corey Perry, Silverberg, Eve, and yes. Kessler all returned to the lineup. Uh, haven't really noticed too much from any of them. Silf- or Eves was scratched tonight. Silverberg's been, you haven't really noticed him offensively. Corey Perry got his first point back, and Ryan Kessler has pretty much been the same Ryan Kessler, and they hard-matched him against the Leafs' top line in, in Austin Matthews in, in Toronto, and it didn't work that well. Uh, well, I Austin guess, Matthews I, didn't do anything, I don't think. He didn't do anything, but it was not uh, it was not a, a great night for Ryan Kessler either, uh, and he no. was paired with a, a different lineup than what we know. I think it was Shore and Eves in that game is what uh, what he was paired with. But what are your thoughts on, on those guys? Like, just a, a quick remark on that. Yeah, as far as uh, Kessler goes, I mean, uh, you know, I wasn't. I'm actually surprised he even came back. Uh, it turned out to be a more of a hamstring thing than a hip thing. So I thought, like, oh, good, he hurt his hip again. Uh, it's it's the whole thing going. But I mean, uh, love him. I love him, but uh, at the same time, it, it's really tough. Even if he wants to come back and he takes it personally, as uh, Randy Carlisle said before the Toronto game, to get back in there and get in the face and be that guy. It's nice. He wants to be a leader and do all that. The the body's not really allowing him to do that. So you're going to get the the same Ryan Kessler after uh, the um, from last year to this year. It's, it's kind of the same guy. He's, he's not quite there. Perry, I've been pleasantly surprised i uh i, I didn't hasn't think been he bad w- he hasn't been bad uh he's 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 made some moves here and there he's feeling things out it's tough to jump in in february for your first game while everyone else is 50 games in you're trying to figure out okay is this knee gonna hold up am i gonna hit, take this hit is it gonna work out well first game in my opinion a little shaky uh after that he kind of seemed to find his groove he's kind of there with gets at the same time the whole team kind of blows. And so Corey Perry's not going to come in all of a sudden be the lightning rod that just sparks offense. I mean, he wasn't that before he, he left. Apparently he's been dealing with his knee injury for a while, but I I've been surprised because I kind of expected a lot less. So the fact he's actually been in there and hasn't been much of a liability, he's been generating shots. He's kind of been in the area, but uh, that's better than I would have thought. Uh, Silverberg, again seems to step off he no longer is on that same line with cogs and kessler and even if he's with kessler kessler's not the same person so all of a sudden he's got to try and find his way again they're missing a lot it's tough to throw you know holes are in for the first game kessler or uh, silverberg in the first game uh perry in the first game just there's so many new people coming in and have missed so much time through injury that there's going to be a little stumble period for a while but uh I haven't been as disappointed as I thought. Everyone either hit my expectations or, in Perry's case, just slightly above it. Yeah, Perry had seven shots in his first two games, and he looked 
more engaged than what we've seen from him in the past. Obviously yes. not this year, but uh, last yeah. season. So a promising start, not great. He is, like I said, he has one point in his last three games, but this team just as a whole just can't generate offense. As we mentioned already, they're 31st in the league when they're, when they're generating chances. So it's going to be hard for him to jump in and be a beneficiary. or to, He doesn't drive playing his own to begin with, so he's not going to come in and make it too much better. But I, just as an eye test, I, I like how he's played. Um, yeah. On the topic of Jakob Silverberg, there's been a lot of reports saying that talks between the Ducks and Silverberg have been progressing and that uh, he's looking to sign a contract before How the February 25th deadline. How do you feel deadline. about that, Ed? Yeah, so <laughs> I, 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 it makes no sense to me because the, the rumor to Matt he's going to get is five to six years at around five to six million, which as a guy who's, I believe, 27 or 28 right now, you're, you're looking at 33, 34 when it's done. And you, you're, again, you're given another Adam Henrique, Ryan Kessler-type contract where you're giving it to an older guy whose production isn't that great and you're, you're kind of paying him a bit for intangibles sometimes. And it, you're blocking a lot of the younger guys as well because now he's got a five- or six-year deal and you, you're kind of filling up that right side for the next few years where Perry's there for the next three years. You've got Silverberg then for five or six years. You've got Andre Kasha and you've got Patrick Easton for next season as well. So you're kind of blocking that right side and forcing maybe uh, Daniel Sprong as well to an off-wing. You're forcing Troy Terry to an off-wing. You, you, you're, you're kind of making it difficult for these guys to get in. So I, I think they should just move them for assets. If you can get a late first, in a, in a decently deep draft on the top end and get maybe a, a B prospect as well at this point, get it, go for it. I, I mean, if that's what you're getting an offer, go for it. Because, you know, the, to think that Yaku Silver is going to be a big part of this team when they're contending again, that's Bob Murray thinking that this team can contend for a Stanley Cup in next year or the year after. But if you're looking at contending after the Seattle expansion draft, Silverberg is going to be 31, 32 years old. Maybe not effective as he is now because if he's a, is a two-way player. He's a defensive forward. Do you really think he's going to be as effective four years down the road when you're paying him five or six million dollars? Yeah, but at the same time, do you maybe re-sign him and leave him open to be picked off in that Seattle expansion draft? You, you could, but then at that point, you missed out on giving the assets for him because yeah. right now the Ducks are they're already going to have losing assets. They're already going to have one of their the defensemen picks. available. It's going to be either high pick this year. Yeah, but for the Seattle expansion draft, they're already yeah. going to have one of their their forwards available. So Adam Henrique is a guy who could possibly expose, who will likely be exposed at the expansion draft. You've got Josh Manson, or Cam Fowler, Brandon Montu, whoever you want to leave exposed there. I, I would assume it would be Josh Manson. Both of those players will be exposed. I, I could see it if you were trying to tempt them to go after Silverberg instead of somebody else. But at that point, you know, if you're keeping them around just to hope they pick him and not Adam Henrique, it's it's kind of pointless because if they want Adam Henrique, which they probably would over Jakob Silverberg, they'll go for Adam Henrique and they'll draft they'll draft him in the expansion draft expansion draft instead of Jakob Silverberg. That's just what will happen. So if you're the Ducks right now, the best option, in my opinion is to trade him now, get the assets, and accelerate this retool, as you call it right now, to get that top pick, hopefully, get another late first-round pick, so maybe you don't have to be as bad next year, because the Ducks have significant uh, success drafting late in the first round. When you look at who they've been able to get, Sam Steele, Ricard Raquel, Ryan Getzlaff, Corey Perry, they they really do, and yes, there's some 
bumps and that makes it Emerson Edom was a late first round pick that didn't work out but Richie. generally the, the well that he was, was early, early <laughs> the Even Ducks worse. generally do a good job <laughs> yes. in the the early second round end of the first round they they generally do a pretty good job picking up some good players there so yeah. if you if you get that pick you can turn Silverberg into something like that Maxim Comtois or Sam Steele or Ricard Raquel that's perfect. That that helps you in in the next couple of years move closer to that rebuild. If they can, and I'm not saying they can. It's it's hard to make a hit at, at that point in the draft. It, it doesn't always work out. But I would trust Martin Madden and and the scouting staff in Anaheim to at least do that. And 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 I would rather put it in their hands to go out and try and get a player who could possibly be better than Jakob Silverberg than to sign him at five or six million dollars and have him 32, 33 when the Ducks are looking to contend again. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's uh, Silverberg. I mean, about the only thing is that he came with uh, the Booby Ryan trade. So when you're looking to kind of, you know, justify that trade, you maybe don't want to necessarily get rid of him. But at the same time, I don't think he's ever built on the expectation that he was what he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be a sniper. He was supposed to be a, a, a legitimate threat. And like sometimes that happens with goal scorers, he's got a lot of inconsistencies. So he can get hot and he can score goals and he can look like, uh, you know, you're saving grace. And then all of a sudden he can go 14 games and not get a sniff. And unfortunately, when the Ducks are starved for goals, you almost can't have that inconsistency. And I don't think you can invest five more years of inconsistency at five to six million dollars. So I would agree with you. Yeah, and, and I don't know if they're going to trade him. Uh, Pierre LeBron said the Ducks are listening a lot of their players. We already heard Bob Murray criticize a lot of the guys in their mid-20s. I don't want to get into too much speculation because that's something <laughs> yeah. we can get into closer to the uh, trade deadline. But that that pretty much highlights everybody. That's Ricard Raquel, Cam Fowler, yeah. Josh Manson. You know, it, The list goes on for, for those guys. And pretty much the only untouchable guy right now is Andre Kasher because he's hurt. And John Gibson, you would assume, are the, uh, are the only untouchable guys on this team Lindholm, right now. Probably. Lindholm, I would assume, I would assume so as well. But when you just look at how, how guys have played this year. A um, couple more topics before we get into a couple of the questions that we have. But one thing we, uh, we have to get to, and i got to pull it up real quick, is Marty Biron on, uh, on Twitter had probably one of the worst Twitter takes uh, around the Ducks this year surrounding John Gibson. And, um, did he uh, say something I, bad wondering, about my boy? I'm wondering if he got rid of it. Okay, no, here, here he's got it here. So he said, Un- unpopular opinion. I know it's been a really tough stretch for the Anaheim Ducks, and I'm definitely not blaming goaltending, but I'm not a fan of how Gibson plays, and I'm not on the bandwagon that had him as a Vesna candidate. I think Gibson makes spectacular saves that catches people's attention, and combined with Anaheim's bad play, makes him look good. He's a very... Stiff goalie doesn't move laterally well. <laughs> always seems to be doing the splits to go side to side. I don't see a lot of control in this game. This is coming from goaltending uh, expert, I guess Mar- Marty Broder. I know he was a goaltender, but I think oh Marty Broder. This... I thought you said uh, no, it's not Marty uh, Biron. Marty Biron. Biron. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> I have a little bit more weight of uh, Marty uh, Broder is saying something. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, the, the, the bad part of that is saying he's a very stiff goalie who doesn't move laterally well. I mean, are we watching the same guy? Yeah, I, I, I'm guessing not. Um, I know he covers games, and I can't remember what, what team. I feel like he covers a certain team. He does but I know Sportsnet. 
in uh, Canada. He used to. I don't know if he does now. And then he, he does, does some stuff. Right. I've also seen him on uh, NHL Network or NBCS. Uh, and I think he's Sports just a kind of a guy they throw in there a couple he, times. He is. And, you know, I, I respect him. He's, he's, you know, he's got generally good takes. But uh, this one I couldn't uh, disagree more with. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering if it's one of those things where, like, oh, I see the highlight reels. I go, like, oh, well. He just makes those highlight reel saves like a Jonathan Quick or, you know, something like that. And he just kind of lumps it into that category and he doesn't see what this dude has to face in the first 20 minutes of any said game where he has to fucking put up 20 great saves. I mean, it just, uh, yeah, it blows me away that another goalie would, would say that. I'm guessing he doesn't watch enough. He watches no, no. highlights. What this looks like to me is a guy who either just watches highlights or just relies on the eye test where he's just watching every so every now and then he's just watching a couple ducks games here and there watching some big save highlights because if you're watching the ducks all season even not looking at underlying numbers you'd be like hey john gibson is playing out of his mind then you go look at the analytics behind it and, and it's like he's playing <laughs> way better than everybody him. everything it's, yeah, it, it's ridiculous. He, he's playing way better than everybody in, in every category. And it's just, you know, he, he seems like a type of guy who doesn't. And I don't know for sure, so I don't want to say say something that's not true. But he, based on this statement, he seems like the type of guy who just relies on the eye test on a couple of occasions and isn't looking at, at the underlying stats. And if you want to make an accurate representation of a goaltender or any player, you got to rely on both. You can't just say, oh, I've seen him make a couple highlight reel saves where he doesn't move well laterally. He just makes a big save. He's not a good guy. This is a guy entering the season who had the best career save percentage in his, I think it was his first five seasons out of any goaltender in history. So yeah. you're saying he's a big save goaltender? I, I don't think that's true. Yeah, and, and the whole rigid thing, I don't know if that's where he's, it's weird. He says that he, you know, he does these, you know, uh, random miraculous saves, which would tell me he's not rigid, but then he goes like, but then he's really rigid. So it's like it almost contradicts yeah, one and the other. It's like either there's rigid and he can't make the extraordinary saves or all, all he's doing is extraordinary saves. So it, it seems odd. You look at the underlying numbers besides that. Here's the problem. There's a top three, and that's goals against, save percentage overall, and wins. And that's what most people will look at, and they try and identify a goalie, how good they are with those three things. There's about five to eight other categories that really define how good a goalie is, and that's uh, high danger shots, it's five-on-five five save percentage, it's uh, you know penalty kill save percentage. It's all of that stuff. And he is you know, running away with all of those categories. And then if you watch how he, he plays, he's rigid or he seems lackadaisical in his technique that it doesn't seem like he has to do much to do it. But then when something happens, he explodes and is able to make that amazing save on top of it. So I don't agree with it in really any capacity. Yeah, uh, the only thing I would agree with, not this season, but maybe a couple seasons ago, is the control aspect of his game because there was For times sure. early in his career where he did look like he was out of control and he would flop uh -huh. around a lot in his crease. But I think he's worked really hard on that, and, and he's actually maybe not a strength anymore, but it's definitely not a weakness. No, and that's how you could tell how his game has progressed because when you are that you know, out of there and uncontrolled, that's when you get injuries. He had injuries through the first part of his career. It almost became an identity. Like, wow, he's really, really good, but can he stay healthy? Last two seasons, he's nothing but healthy, and he's far more in control. And then you go like, well, he's rigid. 
Well, like, well, well yeah. what, are, what are you going to what are you going to fault him on here at this point? I mean, uh, you know, he's, he's either going to be good technically and not as, uh, you know, you know, or be rigid or, you know, you're going to like, oh, he's always injured because he's always flailing around. It just it doesn't make sense. No, it, it doesn't. And I mean, I he, the, <laughs> guy, the guy deserves to have his own opinion, but he was getting flamed on Twitter for, for good reason. But he should. <laughs> let's uh let's close this out get into some questions that we have uh just spell on twitter i believe he was in our uh youtube chat as well had the same question uh he said let's say we fire carlisle next season trade away eves and silverberg his dream scenario lineup wise is comtois gets live raquel jones steel akasha sprong henrik perry richie kessler shore and what are your thoughts on this i'll i'll quickly just say one thing i have a thought on this is if you're going to use Kessler as a fourth line center, you might as well just buy him out at that point, which I'm fully, uh, you know, I'm fully for at the end of this season. If you the way he's been playing and, and just you know, not only for the Ducks' future, but just kind of for his career as well, um, I'm for the rest of those lines. I would just buy out Ryan Kessler at that point if you're going to use him as a fourth line center at almost seven million dollars. Yeah, uh, did he have? Sorry, I can't see the lineup. Uh, did he have Lundstrom in there at all? Did not, no. Did not. So I would agree with you. I would say that uh, buying out Kessler uh, probably makes financial sense because it's not too much longer that you have to pay him. Um, and uh, at this point, in my opinion, Lundstrom could probably be just as good defensively as a center or shutdown center as Kessler could probably be. He doesn't have the same name. He doesn't have the same little chippy attitude. But at the same time, that's not the new NHL. Um other than that, everybody else is kind of, you know, we'll see what happens next year with a new coach and a new strategy and a new uh, way to play the game. I need, I need a new game plan and I need to see how it's going to work. And I'm interested first to see who the coach is. And then I'd be more about, okay, that's their idea. These are the plays I think might work under that strategy. All right. Quick, uh, quick one word answer for this question from Ricky. What do you think the Ducks will do with Sprong at the end of the season? Resign, trade him or let him walk? Uh, he's done too well to resign him. So they'll let him walk. Let him walk. Yeah. I, I would say if, if I had the option, I would resign him. Uh, I, I think the Ducks would go that route, but just the, the way they're doing, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I would uh, resign. But, look at Perron. Uh, look at look at Grant. Look at the guys who did well. They just let him walk. It's it's weird the way the Ducks do it. That's why I said he's doing too well for them to want to resign him. All of a sudden they just go like, yeah, we can find somebody else. I think, and then they'll trade for him later in the season or something. Yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll bring him <laughs> back. They'll pay. They'll pay more than. I want to keep him too. I think he's great. I think he's quick. And um, he's creative. Uh, one of the only forwards I see out there, other than Kasha, seems to have been speed. Their best and, and yeah, it's, it's some sort of semblance. And he's done such a great job from coming from Pittsburgh with zero goals. Coming to the Ducks, he's got like 11 goals, I think, or something like that. So I mean, yeah. I would love to keep him, but I think he's doing too well, and the Ducks are too stupid to keep him. <laughs> uh, surrounding the, the same topic of trades, Chase said, do you really think Murray would be looking to trade players with term left in their contract, i.e. Raquel, Manson, Lindholm, Montour, etc.? And uh, he says, what would you be looking to get in return for those players? I think that's uh, I, that question is for closer to the deadline. But do you think they would trade Raquel or Manson, Lindholm, Montour? 
this year? They trade they trade Manson, in my opinion. Manson, but the higher prospect or the the, the greater return they would get would probably be Montour, because he's a right-handed shot. He's offensive, and so I think they'd probably go. Uh, they get a greater return on him. Manson provides, a, besides this season, a decent top four defenseman who's physical, and the Ducks don't have that necessarily in Lindholm. They don't have it in Fowler. They don't have it in Montour. So Manson's kind of your guy to be that physical presence. So they'd be less likely, in my opinion, or they should be, to get rid of Manson unless he continues to just kind of tread down. Raquel is on such a team-friendly contract that there's no way in their right mind that they would let one subpar season where the whole team blows, uh, they would let that dictate them moving him to for something else. I mean, unless they got such an incredible return that they'd be stupid not to do it. They're so happy that they got him under $5 million and for years on end, especially what he can provide as a top line i mean he can be a top three forward and you got him under five million uh so the only guy i think they should the only guy i think they probably entertain would be between manson and uh montour and i think they get a greater return for montour and we got players coming up behind that who could probably fill that role hopefully oh apparently we messed up with sprong he has another year left and then he's an rfa but uh yeah, same, 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 uh, same answer either way. Is if yeah, they don't, uh, yeah, they don't mess up wait. this year, they'll mess it up next year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris on Instagram says, "Do you th- see a coaching change after the road trip or at the end of the season?" Nope. End of the season. If they haven't done it, if they haven't done it yet, I, I, I'm hard pressed for Bob Murray to just, you know, you know, trip over himself and go like, "Oh yeah, all about that." Uh, my bad. Yeah, it's he, end of the season. Yeah, it, it's done. This season, I want Ducks fans to know management has decided this season is a wash. They are done. Do not try and find solutions to save this season. It is unsavable, and management already knows that. Uh, I think they figured it out a little while ago, and now they're just trying to move blame around. So you can get mad at management if you want, but they're not making a coaching change. They might try and do something personnel wise for the future, but it's nothing this season. The season's done. Yeah. Uh, Elias on Instagram has the, the new hashtag we should be using. Uh, that is around Randy Carlisle sticking around for the rest of the season. It says hashtag stick with Randy and drafted dandy. I, I brought that. Did you? Yeah, I said that. Uh, who's Joseph, Joseph Holmes, our uh, our uh, Swedish correspondent, <laughs> the guy who introduced us to the um, uh, Gromberg? Or oh wow, uh, yeah, the coach. Yeah, he said we should have a uh, hashtag off, and I said st- stick with Randy, get a dandy, or something oh, like that. Well, apparently, this is. Uh, oh, is he stealing it? Oh, he's stealing my thing now. No, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's it's it. Maybe it's just so good. Everybody thought of it. Yeah, I uh, guess so. I didn't get a whole lot of likes on it, but. <laughs> Well, Joseph maybe, Joseph uh, Holmes he he can uh, he can vouch for me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's in the, it's in the chat. He said it was you, so he is vouching for you. Ah, uh, so all right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on Facebook we have uh, a couple. David said, "Is it over yet?" Uh, probably not. I I, nope. I I guess on that. Well, question, the game how, is the game's technically over. We lost. Yeah. How long can this go? They play Ottawa next, which uh, last time they played Ottawa, they were both on losing streaks. I think. They still both are on losing streaks. The Ducks are now on a five-game losing streak, and I don't yep. think did Ottawa play tonight? 
Because they're on a four-game losing streak. I don't think they played tonight. At least I didn't see them. Uh, no, they did, they did play tonight. So they'll yeah. be playing Ottawa, who will be on a four-game losing streak. The Ducks will be on a five-game losing streak. So both, again, the next time these two teams face each other, they're both on losing streaks. Uh, Ottawa is still the worst team in the league. If you want, if you want to lose for Hughes, you want you don't want it to be over yet. You want the Ducks to lose against Ottawa. Uh, and if you want if you want to go for the comical aspect and have to see how bad the Ducks really are, then right now nothing could be worse than losing to the Ottawa Senators because they're just that much worse than everybody else. Yeah, wasn't it funny at the beginning of the season when they were doing like. They're almost the same thing the Ducks were. They were like like six and one or something like that. And it was like, oh well, maybe it's not that bad over there. And they're like, oh crap. They just went to crap. <laughs> yeah, but early yeah, in the that, midseason because Duchesne and, and them were doing really well. And you're like, oh, it's yeah. not going to be, be that uh, yeah, bad. Yeah, anybody, hey, maybe it's not as bad as we thought. And like, eh, no, no, it is. <laughs> anybody who hates Colorado as well will be hoping that the Ducks uh, beat Ottawa on the next yeah. game because I mean. It, it, it's funny watching how bad they are, but then you look at the fact that Colorado owns their first-round pick, and they're, they're almost bad for nothing this year. <laughs> All right, quick prediction. Do you think the Ducks beat Ottawa? Ah, lost my phone. Uh, the way they've been playing, I would – You normally I think against any team but Ottawa, I would say no. I think it's just going to be a ridiculous game where both of them are so bad. One of them eventually just wins somehow with just a random shot on net. Like, it, it – these teams I'm are going one nothing doubles. I think Gibby comes in, has a shot out right. against the worst team. That's the other worst way team. it could happen. I mean, both of them can't generate any offense whatsoever. But nope. uh, I mean, at least the Senators are, are a little bit of a fast team when you look at who, at least just player personnel that they have when you look at Matt Duchesne. So yeah. maybe. I, I don't know. I would I would give right now the way the Ducks are playing, just like they are playing like the worst team in the league. Like even though the Senators are very bad. The Ducks, when you look at offense, especially, are the worst team at generating offense in the league. So I would give I would give the edge to to the Sens because yeah, you still have John Gibson, but they they're not playing any defense in front of him. And uh, Craig Anderson, if he's in net, is a is a capable goaltender at least. Yeah, that, I yeah. like him. Yeah, as a goalie, he he's he's good. He's just on a dumpster fire as much as the Ducks are a dumpster fire. Ottawa's been that for a while. Yeah. And so I, I don't mind. I mean, Craig Anderson had a long career. I mean, I remember him back when he was playing with the Colorado Avalanche forever. So, yeah. I mean, behind Patrick Waugh. So, I mean, this this guy's played well enough. They were in the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago. I mean, he's not a bad goalie. It's just there's there's nothing there. Not a thing. Well, uh, Apparition in our chat said that that game is going to be the hashtag Tank Bowl. And he predicts <laughs> a 15-round 0-0 shootout. That uh, somebody will eventually win. It'll be. Uh, oh, uh, you know what? I think it should go to the 24th round, and the coaches have to just walk out there and try and do a dipsy doodle. I would give the edge to Guy Boucher <laughs> over Randy Carlisle, even though even though Randy Carlisle is well, played that would in the league, just like when you look goalies, at the shape of both guys. <laughs> both goalies would have to go out too and shoot before he got to the coaches. Oh, that would be great though. All right, I'm for it. Love to see. I would love to see Randy Carlisle <laughs> face off against Guy Boucher. <laughs> For nice. uh, Randy Carlo, I want to see Randy Carlo take a penalty. But it can't be on skates. They got to be on like job. their shoes, and they got to be in their like suits, and then watch them just like fall yeah. over each other. <laughs> no, I'm down for that. All right, well that uh, that about wraps up this show. Uh, we'll be back for that Sens game, no matter how it goes, and uh, we'll yeah. see. How it... 
We'll see how that one goes. It'll be an interesting game to watch. I I think it's just going to be a boring game where there's not a lot of offense generated. But uh, that's uh, the su- carbon Super Bowl of Canada, I yeah, guess, or every Ducks game this season. So. <laughs> um, if you haven't checked it out, we haven't been on there lately because we've been either busy or on the road. But we have a Twitch where we occasionally yeah. stream some gaming stuff. Like I said, we haven't done it in a while, but we're, now that we're all back, we're looking to do that more often. Uh, so if you go check it out, it's twitch.tv slash forevermighty. So check it out, give us a follow, and we'll be doing more things over there. Uh, if you got a chance, check us out on iTunes and uh, leave us a review and a rating. It really helps us get our show out there. And check out Cool Hockey as well. If you use the code FM20, you get 20% off of uh, any jersey or whatever you buy from their website. Uh, you get 20 for 20% off using that code. And they also sponsor our Forever Mighty 3 Stars that we do on Twitter before each game. Uh, you make three predictions before each game. If you get one right, you get a point. And at the end of the month, whoever has the most points gets a jersey. Everybody wants the the Anaheim Ducks third jerseys, of course. Uh, but they they are sold out, so we're waiting on a couple of them. But Clarissa was our last winner in February or January, and uh, Travis was our last winner in December. So once those jerseys get back in stock, uh, we'll be sending them out to them as well. Yeah. And then uh, we plan on having a watch party uh, for February 23rd Um, venue to be decided. Um, We might be doing a different one. That's a little bit more um, central, easy to get to. And then also the pricing is uh, really, really good. So uh, stay tuned for that, but that's definitely going to happen February 23rd. We're just not quite sure to the venue yet. And that's against the uh, Edmonton Oilers and it's a Saturday. Ooh, that'll be a fun one. Yeah. Yeah, two more, right? You're not invited. Well, I don't think I would make the trip out there anyway. So I guess that's uh, that's what happens. But anyway, uh, we'll be back in some capacity. I don't know which two of us, either me and Jay or me and Pat, or Jay and Pat will be doing the Ottawa show. But we will figure that out and let you guys know. And we will see. Oh, on Patreon. Oh yeah, check out check out our Patreon. I almost forgot to mention that because we do do four bonus shows over there, uh, among some of the rant show, Pucks and Brews show for our ten dollar ones. And if you do become a ten dollar patron, you get a nice forever mighty bottle opener to oh, go with uh, watching us on the Pucks and Brews show. Jason doesn't have it with him. So I don't. Show. I have the puck guys one from a really long time ago. But well, it's it kind of looks like this. that. It, it looks, See, it like, looks a like this. It's got and this. Yeah, it's a magnet in it. It's an amazing bottle opener. I it's mean, pretty much that, that's yeah. all you. So if you, if you do go on Patreon and you become a ten dollar patron, you do get that. We will send it out to you. If you live across the world, it might be a little bit harder, but we will get it out to you. We, <laughs> we will Someday find a way. Australia. Yeah, we'll we'll find a way to get it out to you. But uh, make sure you check that out. And like I said, we will be back again for the game against ottawa we will see you all then hopefully the ducks uh if you want them to win hopefully they win if you are on board for loose reviews then hopefully they lose catch you guys on the ottawa game (laughs) bye guys